You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Zags. Today's episode is brought to you by Bill Park. Go to BillFarr.com and use the promo code LOCKED15. You'll get 15% off your next order. It is Monday, March 29th, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs are heading to the Elite Eight for the fourth time in the last six tournaments. How about that? I'm your host, Stephen Carr. You can follow me on Twitter, at SCargo, and you can follow the podcast on Twitter, at LockedOnZags. Before we get into the good stuff today, I just want to say thank you more than anything else for the reception of the pod over the first week. Uh, I got multiple people which was super, super cool, who told me they sent the parents, they sent the podcast to their parents, and their parents loved it, um, which is super awesome. Uh, we ended up getting into the top 100 at one point last week of all sports cast, or all sports podcasts on Apple Podcasts, which is incredible. So I appreciate the sport, and I also do appreciate constructive criticism. I had a couple people, one said that they wish I had a little bit more energy, which, fair, I'm not the most energetic person. I understand that. And then I also got uh, Dominic Harris's dad made a point that uh, when I was talking about Jalen Suggs last week, I said without Jalen Suggs, there's probably no Hunter Salas or Chet Holmgren. And he made the point that I completely neglected. It's like without Dominic Harris, there probably is no Jalen Suggs, which is 100% true. So I look forward to having Mr. Harris on the show at some point here in the future, and we can discuss that and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I appreciate all positive reviews. I appreciate all constructive criticism. You can feel free to tweet me, my personal account, or Locked on Zags for all that stuff. Or you could just leave a review on the podcast. That would be awesome. All right, now let's get into some fun stuff. Or I guess maybe for some people it's not super fun. I want to talk before we get into the news and notes about uh, nervous energy. Because this season, nervous energy has been taken to the next level with this team when it comes to the NCAA tournament. So for me, uh, like in 2017, uh, when they got to the Final Four in the National Championship, it was like a, it was a different story, right? Like they, they finally broke through. It was a great story that they got there. They were happy to be there. They were one whistle, one bucket away from winning a national championship. But it felt like, hey, you know, we accomplished this thing and we're going to be back here. But they weren't expected to win the thing. So like obviously we're all nervous every year as fans. Um, but it, it's not like ratcheted up high, high, high like it is this season. 2019, we all knew that they were good enough to win a national championship. Uh, but I, like the national perspective, like all the attention was on like Zion Williamson and that Duke team. And then Virginia, who's, who's making this incredible run after losing to uh, UMBC the year before. It's like, what could they have like the ultimate redemption story, which obviously they ended up getting. But Gonzaga was more like the probably the third, maybe even the fourth story um, that season. So this year, it's like all eyes are on Gonzaga. They're undefeated. They're trying to make history. And there's just this sense around Gonzaga, both locally and nationally, that's just like, it's time. Like, it is time for Gonzaga to win the national championship. So, like, nerves before a game, tension during the game tenfold like through the roof um and i it's it's even when if it's uh like they're playing oklahoma and they play creighton they were up double digits 
for like the majority of those games. And I can tell you not a single Gonzaga fan didn't feel like this just ridiculous tension during the game because of the significance of everything that's been going on with this program. So uh, I just want to say that you're not alone in that. I also feel it. Um, but man, it is fun and it is exciting. Um, this is seriously, it's one of the best college basketball teams uh, of our generation. And they play just such a beautiful brand of basketball. It looks like a professional European team out there, just with the way that they, they move and their ball screens are so unselfish. And I think the best part is they genuinely do love playing with each other. And I think that's what makes it so easy to root for them um, is because they're all great kids. They all enjoy playing the sport. They all enjoy playing for each other. It's just, it's just amazing. And we're going to get three more games of this, hopefully, God willing. Um, so just savor every single moment of it. Cherish this group. We may not see another one ever like this. Um, so just enjoy the ride. All right. With some mushy-gushy stuff out of the way, let's get to the news and notes. Hunter Salas committed on Friday. He's the highest rated recruit in school history, according to 24-7 Sports. And in his commitment uh, little interviews, he said, it just felt right. Um, I think part of what helped Hunter Salas is that he could only take a certain number of visits because the pandemic kind of limited every recruit's visits. Um, and then obviously Gonzaga's success this season, Jalen Suggs' success this season, he can see himself kind of in that role next year. And then one of his other schools was Kentucky. And Kentucky had a down year and a lot of drama within the program. Um, Calipari kind of seemingly kind of called out his players once in a while. Um, and so I think he just felt better with Gonzaga's culture and Gonzaga's program as opposed to Kentucky. So Hunter Salas will be in Spokane next season. 48 hours after Gonzaga beat out Creighton in a recruiting battle for Salas, they beat Creighton on the court to get back to the Elite Eight for the fourth time in the last six tournaments, like I said. And I saw this stat on um, TBS after the Oregon-USC game wrapped up. How wild is this? Gonzaga has won. 115 straight games when leading by at least 10 points at halftime. 115 straight games when leading by 10 or more at halftime. That is ridiculous. Gonzaga's going to face USC in the Elite Eight. They ended up uh, beating up Oregon pretty good. They are going to play 415 on Tuesday. Evan Mobley, Dominic Harris, they were high school teammates, so it's going to be cool for them to see each other again. Kevin Harlan will be on the call on CBS, and Gonzaga opens the game as a nine-point favorite against the number six-ranked Ken Palm team, which is pretty wild. I mean, <laughs> they had the highest spread of anybody in this round in a 1-5 matchup, and that included a double-digit spread between a 3-15 matchup. Gonzaga's spread in a 1-5 matchup was larger than Arkansas's over Oral Roberts in a 3-15 matchup. That's how dominant this team is. Gonzaga and USC were actually scheduled to play in the non-conference this year before COVID ended up changing all the schedules. So instead of seeing it in the non-conference, we get to see it with a trip to the Final Four on the line. And I can't think of anything better than that. Speaking of USC, how about the Pac-12? Three Pac-12 teams made it to the Elite Eight. UCLA beat Alabama in overtime. Despite giving up a three at the buzzer, they rallied back. And to be quite honest with you, as a Gonzaga fan, I'm happy that they won't have to see Alabama in a potential Final Four game because that matchup with the way and the style of Alabama's play, um, it just it worries 
it should worry any coach. Just the way that they defend is is hard nosed, and they'll shoot forty threes a game, and it takes one night for them to hit sixteen like they did in the second round game that they won um, for them to, to to upset anybody. So good for UCLA, uh, and then Oregon State they upset Loyola Chicago, and the connection here is that uh, Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State's head coach, is a uh, he's a Spokane guy, and his daughter Ellie Tinkle was on the Gonzaga basketball team for. Four years. So happy for Wayne Tinkle, happy for Oregon State, and they'll take on Houston tonight. USC is the third team, obviously. They're number six in Ken Palm, like I just said. It's going to be the highest rated Ken Palm team Gonzaga has faced all season. We're going to have much more on USC tomorrow. Just know that it's the number one two-point defense in the country going against the best two-point offense in the history of college basketball. I don't know if you can ask for much more of a matchup than that. So the three-pack 12 teams plus Gonzaga means it's the first time ever in the history of the NCAA tournament with four West Coast teams in the Elite Eight. So how about that? West Coast basketball representing. And finally, the Gonzaga baseball team. They were at LMU this weekend. They lost game one 7-1. In game two, LMU had a four-run seventh inning that propelled them to an 8-4 victory. And then I think Gonzaga took out all their frustrations in game three. They won 14-2 on Sunday afternoon. Mason Branco had four hits. Brett Harris and Ernie Yank had three RBIs apiece. So they went one and two in LMU. That puts their WCC record now at four and two. That's one game back of San Diego for first place in the WCC. They're in a tie with San Diego, Pepperdine, Portland, BYU, and Gonzaga, all at four and two this season. Like I said last week, there is no WCC baseball tournament this year. So the winner of the regular season will get the automatic bid to regional. So it puts more importance on taking two out of three or sweeping pretty much every series this season. They'll host Pacific this weekend. The rest of the show, we're going to be breaking down Gonzaga and how they beat Creighton. Uh, after this, we'll be talking about the defensive side of the ball first, and then we're going to finish the show with their offensive performance. Gonzaga, as you know, they've won 28 of their 29 games this year by double digits. And if they want to make that 29 of 30, they're going to have to cover the nine-point spread against USC. And you know where you can bet on that game? BetOnline.ag is the place to go. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. College basketball, the NBA, and the NHL are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Promo code locked on. Get all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's talk about Gonzaga's defense against Creighton first. Defense held Creighton to 0.89 points per possession yesterday, which is the fourth lowest that Creighton has put up all season long. Their 5-for-23 performance from deep was their second worst of the season. And for the most part, Gonzaga just kind of hunkered down and they followed the scouting report. Last week, we kind of talked about on here, and I talked about on my website, just Creighton has a starting five that all average double figures, um, and all of them – kind of have their own uh, strengths and Gonzaga wants to take away those strengths. So like Marcus Zagorowski 
I think everybody knew coming into this game that he's going to do what he does, um, which is put up somewhere between 15 and 20 points because that's that's what he does against everybody. But he's not the kind of guy who's going to search out like a 30-point performance, uh, even though he probably should in some games. So the goal is to make Zagorowski's life difficult enough, but more than anything else, it was to try to limit his other three perimeter shooters and not let all of them get hot at the same time. So Zagorowski got his. They made it a little bit difficult for him. Um, It wasn't super easy, but he still scored 19 points. He was 6 of 17 from the field. But it started with Mitch Ballack and not not letting Mitch Ballack get hot from the perimeter. First play of the game, Creighton ran what they like to run to get Ballack open looks, which is kind of like a, a brush screen for... Christian Bishop, their center, to give him space to, to instead of, he looks like he's going to go set a screen, a ball screen for Zegarowski, but it's basically a fake ball screen, and then he goes sets um, like a pin down cross screen action for Mitch Ballack to get him an open three. They run this all the time, and it works because Mitch Ballack has just an incredibly quick trigger um, from the three-point line. So they run this, the first play of the game, one of their favorite sets, Joel Ayayi defends it basically perfectly, contests the three-point shot. Balak misses it short. Gonzaga comes down. Get the ball to Timmy. Kick it back out. Nemhard three. Gonzaga goes up three to nothing. They never let Mitch Balak get hot the rest, the, pretty much the entire game. He finished two for nine. He only had five points. So job number one, don't let Balak get hot, was complete. Damian Jefferson. He's their best driver. He can shoot, like I mentioned last week, but he's – you know, he shoots far, far less than anybody else. He wants to drive the basketball. And so what they wanted to do and what they did is they gave him a huge gap um, and just defended the drive as best as possible and just made him de- try to finish baskets over hands. And he couldn't do that. He finished three for 10 from the field and he tied a career high with five turnovers. And then there's Denzel Mahoney, who I mentioned last week thinks he's probably the best player on the team and acts and plays like he's the best player on the team, but in no way, shape, or form is he the best player on the team. Um, I think I said last week he had more shot attempts than anybody on the roster, and he had the worst field goal percentage of anybody on the roster. And so Gonzaga seemed like they were very content with him shooting you know, anywhere between 10 and 18 shots in this game. And if he beats them, great. Uh, but make Mahoney beat you as opposed to the other three guys. And that's kind of what they did. Um, he ended up going six for 13, which for him um, is fairly efficient. Uh, but he was one for five from deep, which continued just an ice cold spell from him. The only players in the entire game to shoot more times than Mahoney were Zagorowski and Timmy. So I think Gonzaga was content with him taking 13 shots, given how inefficient he had been all season. So I think that was a big win for Gonzaga. And then the other thing was Christian Bishop, their starting center. Coming into the game, I think maybe goal number one or two might have been to try to get Christian Bishop into foul trouble in this game. Because if they got Bishop into foul trouble, a lot of their offensive actions for Creighton um, go to the wayside. And they have to play their seven-foot true freshman center who missed you know three or four-point Blake layups, wasn't very good defensively against Timmy. And that's what they ended up doing. Bishop only played 21 minutes because... Uh, a foul trouble. Timmy ended up taking a charge on him. When he was on the court, though, I mean, he actually played well. He went six for nine from the field and he had 12 points, but he couldn't stay on the court um, because of foul trouble. So goal number one was probably not to let the other 
people on the roster, their other guards, get hot, and they didn't. Um, everybody not named Marcus Zagorowski was two for 16 from deep, so they did their job there. And then goal number two is probably get Christian Bishop in foul trouble, which they did. The other thing I wanted to mention here was uh, their ball screen coverage. In the Oklahoma game, uh, because Brady Manick was a pick-and-pop threat, they ended up doing a lot of switching in the first half, which led to Timmy being isolated one-on-one with Austin Reeves a lot, and that didn't work out too well for them. In this game, Christian Bishop is not a pick-and-pop threat, so what they were able to do instead uh, was play a lot of drop coverage, which means uh, whoever is defending the guard in the ball screen gets over the ball screen as best as possible, and Timmy, instead of hedging out onto the ball's handler, instead he kind of drops back um, kind of towards the free throw line. And the reason he does this, especially against Christian Bishop, is because he's such a good lob and dunk threat. So I think that was their most effective coverage. Um, when Anton Watson came into the game, they did switch one through five, and it was really interesting because the first – three-ish, three, four possessions that Anton Watson was in the game. Um, they got switches onto him, and they ended up just taking him one-on-one to the rack, and they ended up scoring. And I think Anton Watson took that personally because the next four possessions down, he ended up contesting two shots. Uh, he took a charge, and he got a deflection out of bounds. And after the charge, he pounded his chest kind of like, yeah, you know, you can't beat me this many times. So good for Anton Watson to kind of take those plays personally and bounce back with a strong defensive performance. I would say the probably one of the only downfalls defensively in this game was that they gave up 10 rebound, 10 offensive rebounds against a pretty bad um, rebounding team. And so that could be a huge problem when facing USC uh, on Tuesday, who's at uh, probably top 15 or so in offensive rebounding percentage. So that'll certainly be something to watch on Tuesday. All right, we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about the offense because Andrew Nemhard was obviously incredible. Drew Timmy was great, and Joel Ayayi hit some big shots early on. We've been telling you about Built Bar, the best-tasting protein bar in the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate in all bars. Now is the time to find out which Built Bar is the best. It is Built Bar Madness. We are down to the final four. Today's matchup is Caramel Brownie versus Coconut Brownie Chunk. If you put caramel and brownie together, for me, that's a huge win-win. So I'm taking caramel brownie. But you can go to BuiltBar.com or to at bar underscore built on Twitter. Remember to use the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That is LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. The NFL Draft is weeks away. It's time to start following our Locked On NFL Draft duo. The Draft Dudes podcast watches every prospect so that you don't have to. And the Locked On NFL Draft podcast is your daily draft news and mock draft podcast. Follow Locked On NFL Draft and Draft Dudes on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your podcasts. I think Gonzaga won this game with their defense on Sunday, but obviously, like always, their offense was very good. Uh, They went 25 for 33 inside the arc on Sunday, which is a whopping 76%. They're putting up historic two-point numbers this year, Um, and kind of because they're so ridiculous, that 76% is only their third highest mark of the year behind the Kansas game to open the year, uh, and then a road game at Pepperdine. But that 76%, on the other hand, the third worst two-point percentage Creighton has given up in any game since 2002. 
the third worst two-point percentage Creighton has given up in any game since 2002 was Gonzaga 76% uh, on Sunday. Strangely, kind of strange, I guess, it was their Gonzaga's lowest output of the tourney at only 83 points. And just, I say just, uh, a measly 1.14 points per possession. I think a lot of teams would kill to have that be a problem. Um, only five teams this season have actually held Gonzaga to a lower, a lower points per position than that 1.14. And despite all that, they still won the game by 20 points. So it's, like I said, it wasn't a bad offensive performance, uh, but it certainly wasn't, I guess, their A or A-plus performance. They probably played a, a B offensive game. Um, I think Mark Few at halftime said that the, they, they went through a stretch there in, in the middle of the first half or so um, where both teams were kind of – scoreless for about four or five minutes. Um, I think Mark Few at halftime kind of said that, you know, the ball needed to move a little bit more. Players were kind of standing around, ball was sticking a little bit. So I would say it was probably a B offensive performance. And if this is their B offensive performance, a lot of teams are very, very jealous of that. Um, after the game, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Greg McDermott in his post game basically admitted that, like, their goal was to take away Corey Kispert and Jalen Suggs in this game and make – Joel Ayayi and Andrew Nemhard be the ones that beat them. And to be quite honest, that might be the best option to beat Gonzaga. I mean, well, I, I think if you're going to junk up the game, I th- really think the best way to beat Gonzaga, uh, but this is going to take way more prep than just a day, is I would play a box and one on Corey Kispert. Uh, I would pack the paint on Drew Timmy, and then I'd force basically any other shooter besides Kispert on the perimeter to make threes. But that takes more than a day and takes uh, you away from basically all of your style. So you're kind of going against what you do all season. But if you have to take away two or three players, taking away Suggs and Kispert is a pretty good idea. And um, if your best option is to make Ayayi and Nemhard beat you, they're probably still going to beat you, and Gonzaga is still in a good spot to win. That's how loaded they are. So they actually did a great job taking away Kispert. He only had two points at halftime. But the problem is Creighton still gave up 43 points and they were down by 10. So, like, that's the problem with facing Gonzaga. Is like, yeah, you could take away two guys, but you've got two other guys, one who's maybe the best pick-and-roll passer in the history of the program in Nemhard, and then another guy who's up for, a, you know, his award uh, watch list as one of the top five at his position in Joel Ayayi. So, like, sure, take away their two best and you get two others who are, you know, not as good but almost as good. So, um, and they kind of just made plays all night long, especially off of playing off of Drew Timmy. Um, they started the game. Gonzaga started the game with a post touch. Creighton, uh, whoever was guarding Andrew Nemhard, went down to dig as soon as Drew Timmy put the ball on the ground. They kicked it out to Nemhard. He hit the three. And they did this multiple times in the first half where they get the ball to Timmy. Uh, whoever was guarding the guard on the perimeter would dig down into the post as soon as Timmy put the ball on the ground and Timmy would just kick it out and Ayayi hit three threes, Nemhard hit a couple threes, and eventually they just had to stop digging down because they were giving up these shots. So that left Timmy one-on-one and Bishop and Kalkbrenner cannot guard Timmy one-on-one. Timmy finished with 22 points and six rebounds. Um, Against Oklahoma and Creighton, he's 19 for 25 inside the arc. He hasn't had a game where he's missed more than four shots since January 26th. He's averaging 20.7 points per game in the three tournament games, and he joins Brandon Clark as the only Gonzaga player to average 20-plus en route to an Elite Eight appearance. Andrew Nemhart, also brilliant. 
I've said this multiple times on Twitter. I brought it back up again yesterday. I, th- I really do think he's the best pick-and-roll passer Gonzaga has ever had. Um, I, I mean, he's – Mark Few has called him a magician before. I just think he's so patient, and he knows exactly how to read defenses in this system. Obviously, Josh Perkins leads the program in assists, and Mark Few called him probably the best in ball screens. Um, but I think – Nemhard is better because he's a little bit more dynamic in what he does. Perkins was more pass first, um, and he didn't really look to score for himself all that much. Nemhard looks to score for himself, and he passes the ball just as well. He also turns the ball over less, and he's got a mid-range game, which I don't think really many Gonzaga players, and I think Nigel Williams-Goss had a pretty darn good one, but um, it, it, Nemhard's mid-range game and his ability to attack the basket is better than Perkins. So I would say, from the time I've been watching over the last decade plus or so, Andrew Nemhard is the best that they've ever had in ball screens. And assuming he comes back next year, if Timmy joins him, plus they've got Chet Holmgren, like he's got so many different options that he's going to be able to work with with pick and rolls. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. So he had eight assists in this game. I post on Twitter, it's the second most by any Gonzaga player in an NCAA tournament game. Blake Stepp had nine um, back in the day. Stephen Gray, Josh Perkins, Blake Stepp, and Matt Santangelo also had a game with eight. So he's in pretty good company with those eight assists. If you combine his three NCAA tournament games plus his two WCC tournament games, so five postseason games this season, Andrew Nemhart has 19 assists and just three turnovers. And I think one of the best aspects of his game throughout the season is he's become a pretty reliable three-point threat, um, which is a huge development from early on in the season when it looked like he wasn't um, a super, super good shooter. He's up to 35% on the season, which is respectable. And on that same kind of note, Joel Ayayi is, I mean, there's times where he looks like a a knockdown shooter. Um, And he looked like that to start this game. I think he hit either three of four or three of three to start the start the game uh, he struggled in the second half but uh, he's up to 38 and a half percent which I mean if you're hovering over 40 percent you're a pretty darn good shooter and they're going to need both Ayayi and Nemhard to hit shots uh, when they play USC because USA is probably going to play a lot of zone in that game um, we'll talk more about that tomorrow but I think USC is going to play a lot of zone and they're going to have to be able to hit some perimeter shots to win that game Jalen Suggs is going to have to join that party too. Because if you eliminate his BYU game, he's two for 20. Yeah, two for 20 from deep, dating back to February 13th. But of course, you can't really eliminate that BYU game because the BYU game is when he hit the two huge daggers. And then he also had the Iowa game where he hit seven threes. So, like, it's not really going to surprise anybody if he hits a couple big threes against USC. But he has been struggling from deep lately, which is somewhat concerning and he's going to need to hit a couple shots most likely against usc for them to win all right i think that's going to do it for the creighton recap uh if you want an extended x's and o's look at gonzaga's defense in this game you can head over to my website for a full breakdown with some words and videos that website is always in my pinned tweet on twitter tomorrow on the show we're going to preview usc it's the best two-point defense against a historic two-point offense like i mentioned earlier but it's not true timmy It's not Evan Mobley that's going to decide this game. Tune in tomorrow and find out who the X-Factors really are. Don't forget you can always rate and subscribe to Locked on Zags wherever you get your podcasts. If you feel like it, feel free to leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at scargo, that is at S-K-A-R-R-G-0. 
and you can follow the podcast at Locked on Zags. Enjoy your Monday. Enjoy the Baylor and Houston games tonight, and we'll see you right back here tomorrow. And especially right now, always remember, it's a great day to be a Zag.